Welcome to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners. I'm your host, Maureen Warbach. This episode is sponsored by my membership community called The Exchange. The Exchange is a membership website that has group practice business development resources. It has pre-recorded trainings every month, live Q&As by myself and three other experts in the field so you can get your one-on-one questions answered, Facebook live trainings, accountability groups, and expert interviews. We've got a ton of resources and new things are added to the library every single month. Learn more and sign up at www.members.thegrouppracticeexchange.com forward slash exchange. See you in there. Hey everyone, Maureen at the Group Practice Exchange podcast here. I'm really excited to have someone who's actually been on the show twice now. This is the first person who I've had twice. It's Jeremy Sharp uh, with the Testing Psychologist. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? Hey, good morning, Maureen. I'm great and honored to be your first multiple time (laughs) guest. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't realize that until today. I was like, wait a minute, there's a long time ago you were on one of our other episodes talking about how large to expand. So this will be a a fun second interview. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So today we're going to be talking about obviously all things testing psychology. Um, and today's specific topic is how to integrate testing psychology or um, psych testing into a group practice. I know that's something that a lot of people have questions about. And so who better than you to talk about how to integrate that? Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I'm really excited. I mean, this is my world, right? This is what I do. So yeah, yeah I'm so glad to be here to talk about it. Awesome. All right, so let's just jump right in. Um, my first question for you is kind of the basics, the startup, but what do you um, suggest or how do you look for someone um, when you're hiring uh, someone for psych testing? Like, what are you looking for? What things should people be considering before they even put a, re- um, a job description out there? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, that's a, well. That's a great question. There's a lot there. I think uh, part of it is knowing yourself a little bit and just uh, who you are and what your credentials look like and what your experience with testing is. So, you know, if you're let's say a master's level person who hasn't done a whole lot of testing in the past, I think that's maybe a little bit of a different story than uh, like a doctoral, you know, a psychologist hiring another psychologist. Um, so. Let's see. One of the main things I think from a, uh, for either perspective is, um, what are you really wanting the testing person to do in your practice? Um, you know, I, I see a lot of posts and get a lot of questions about, uh, you know, I want to hire someone to do testing and I'm like, what kind of testing, you know, that's, there's many different kinds of testing. Do you want someone to do like substance use evals or do you want someone to do neuropsych testing? Do you want testing with kids or testing with adults? Do you want um, bariatric evals? Do you want, you know, there's, there's a million different kinds of testing that, that you could do. So I think that's one thing right off the bat. And really quick before you go to the next piece. So what, um, I feel like this was something I didn't think about. I have someone who just been doing testing. She's an independent contractor, has her own practice for years now. And when I first asked her to jump on board, I kind of did what you are saying not to do, which was I just <laughs> needed someone to do testing. <laughs> I'm uh, yeah. your first category of people. I'm a master's level clinician, so I don't do testing. So I don't know. I didn't know what to ask. Um, and so I think this is a, a good place to for people who are maybe in my position, um, who aren't psychologists to really know that 
testing isn't uh, an all-encompassing thing. Like you can't find one person to do it all. So um, is there, if, um, what different types, are there like major types of testing that like people fall into? I I know you're mentioning like bariatric and substance abuse, um, but is there like a group that does you know, mental health, like anxiety, depression, kind of those basics. And then like another group that does, um, higher level or developmental or like other types of testing, or is it really just, can it just vary so much? Yeah, I think there is a lot of variation. Um, if I had to really boil it down, you, uh, you might find a group of folks who do more, who are trained more in, um, comprehensive evals. So for that, that's where I would include um, like the neuropsychologists. There are folks who have gone through like very formal neuropsych training and that's a whole separate track than um, even other psychologists. Um, So there's neuropsych testing and even within that there's kids and adults and people usually, you know, specialize in one or the other. Um, Beyond that though, there are folks who just do like kind of like myself, I call myself a regular psychologist, um, you know, not a neuropsychologist who, but I do comprehensive evals with kids. So that's like kind of the full, like really comprehensive. That's like ADHD, learning disorders, autism, um, you know, might get into some like TBI or brain injury kind of stuff. Um, And then with adults, it'd be like cognitive decline and dementia and um, things where there are truly like some cognitive issues going on um, that you got to get into. So my psychologist is a regular psychologist, too. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of regular (laughs) psychologists out there. Um, So there's that category. And then. You know, there might be a, if you had to separate it, maybe another category of folks who um, do more what I would call just like personality assessment. So that would be more like mood disorder, um, substance use evals, um, like pre-adoption evals, bariatric evals. So you're not really getting into the cognitive side of things so much. Um, It's more just emotions, personality, um, daily functioning, that kind of thing. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you for that feedback. You may move along on your track that I just took you off of. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's great. That's great. This is a great question. Um, And I even did that myself, to be honest. Like when I first started hiring more testing folks, I was kind of looking for like the one to do it all, you know, where like somebody who could do adults and kids and um, personality stuff. and And it's just, you know, I don't think that's possible. It's hard to do more than one or two things really well. Yeah. I, I mean, same, same with counseling, you know, you really can't find a therapist yeah. who can, tr- you know, work with every population. Um, they'd be sort of half-assed at it all then. So totally. in the same sense, it, it would make sense in that way too. Sure. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, thinking about what kind of testing you want in your practice is, is a big thing. Um, another piece that um, I think might be more relevant for folks who don't do testing um, are like specific questions to ask um, during the interview. Um, And when you're checking references, so, you know, a big thing, if you're hiring someone to do testing is um, we write these reports, right? Like you have to produce a written report for the results from the testing that you do. Um, A big thing with that is uh, how efficient is the person, is the candidate? Um, How quickly are they able to turn around those reports? Um, What do those reports look like? And if you're not familiar with um, kind of standard guidelines and what a report should look, should look like. Um, 
it's worth maybe, you know, consulting with another psychologist or like having someone who can, who can kind of help you with that and say like, is this good? You know, is this, are they, do they know what they're doing? That's a really good idea. So you, you're suggesting that during the interview process to have them give you a copy of one of their reports and then Mm -hmm. have someone that you can consult with to, if you don't know yourself Mm -hmm. to look over it and see how um, well written it is, how comprehensive it is and all that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a standard deal with me. Um, I always ask for they're called redacted reports or de-identified reports. Um, any any testing candidate should have those readily available. Um, but I think there's you know so you can read it if you don't even if you don't get psych reports. I think you could still read it and say, does this make sense to a from a layperson's perspective? You know, how does a writing look good? Um, is it clear? Is it concise? But then yeah, I think it's worthwhile to consult with someone who actually can look at the results and say, you know, is this conceptualization on? You know, do they really know what they're doing here? Because um, there's a lot a of great, variation. That's a great piece of feedback. <laughs> yeah. And then with the, I think it's really important to check references um, and to ask those questions like, how does this person do with time management? Uh, you know, how do they do getting their paperwork done? Um, you know, those kinds of questions. Cause that is like one of the biggest downfalls in our practice, I think is, is getting behind on reports. And then it just, it's a train wreck. So for someone who doesn't do testing, what is, I don't know if, the, if there is a, one size fits all here, but mm-hmm. is there a general assumption for how long it should take between testing sessions? Like how quickly should they be scheduling between sessions? And then I guess after, if, if that is not a great question to ask, um, how long should it typically take someone from the end of testing to writing the report and, and giving that? Cause I feel like mm-hmm. I, I would be like, um, oh, two weeks. I have no idea, but then mm-hmm. could, maybe it should be a month because it takes a while for some of those that scoring to come back. I don't know. What would you say? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That second question is a lot easier to answer. Um, There's actually just a great article that came out. Um, Karen Postal is one of the co-authors, but they really looked at all of those pieces um, and they found that, yeah, the vast majority kind of the industry industry standard is two weeks for a report to get done after the last, um, you know, patient contact. So, um, yeah, within two weeks is, is the expectation for sure. Perfect. Now, some people go longer than that, but I don't think it's ideal. That's where we, that's where you get into, you know, people getting unhappy, um, with the delay. Um, let me see. And with the first question, like how to space out the appointments, I think that depends a lot on the kind of eval that, that you're doing. Um, and that there's a lot of variation there. Because I figured that much as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, that one's not going to be good. (laughs) I mean, I still think there's something to be said for trying to keep it concise, right? I mean, we try to to get all our evals done and we're doing pretty comprehensive evals. So, you know, get all the appointments done within two to three weeks. So, you know, but some people spread them out and yeah, it just depends. Okay. So, um, when, let's say you have it figured out who you want to hire, you do all that work um, to put out an ad what are some of the expectations or things you've learned along the way when it comes to anything revenue facing? Um, obviously, it's it looks different because there's different CPT codes and that you're using for testing, and um, it, you're, it's short term. Um, but then there might be longer blocks of hours that you're seeing them versus traditional counseling. So um, I'm kind of making it pretty general when I say revenue, but. Um, anything from like expectations with regards to um, paying them 
is, is it, does it look different than when you're paying a therapist who does counseling, billing, um, insurance reimbursements, any, you can really go anywhere with this because anything you talk about is going to be useful for listeners. Yeah. 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 I think there are a lot of considerations there. Um, with the billing, we can just start, I think top down. Um, one is the CPT codes, like you said, um, they're very different than testing and there are, um, several different codes that you can bill for testing, depending on what you're doing. Um, so the current, uh, president of APA, Tony Puente, uh, is like a billing, uh, guru. So he, if you search his name and just search like Tony Puente billing, psych testing or something, um, you'll pop up like he's done so many presentations over the years about how to bill for psych testing. Um, and they're all free to download. Um, so I think that's the main thing, like, or that's one main thing is just to be familiar with the billing codes that you're going to be using and yeah. And make sure that insurance reimburses most do, you know, you know, there's no, there's no concern there. Um, if you have particular insurances that you sort of have to be in network with and want to be in network with, um, I would definitely check to see what their requirements are both for coverage for psych testing and whether they require pre-authorization for psych testing. Um, there's a huge amount of variation with that. Um, some will cover it for certain diagnoses, but not others. Um, some will cover neuropsych testing, but not psych testing. Um, some will cover to have a technician, uh, which is when, you know, you have like a grad student or an undergrad doing some of the work, um, but some will not. So I think really digging into the insurance, uh, codes and, you know, getting a good sense of what they reimburse because I think then that flows to knowing what you can offer, uh, the psychologist candidate, you know, as a, as a payment arrangement. Um, because we, I think we often get in this bind of psychologists, um, maybe rightfully expecting to be paid more. Um, but yet sometimes testing reimburses less, um, through insurance, at least with private pay, I think it's the opposite. You can charge more for testing than maybe counseling. Um, but with insurance, that is not always the case. So that's a consideration too. So those two kind of go hand in hand. Um, what's another piece? I had another idea that I wanted to share. Oh yeah. Generally speaking. So you also want to take, take into account, and this gets into kind of IC versus W2 kind of issues, but um, whether you'll be buying the materials or whether that person will be buying the materials. And that definitely affects how much uh, you would pay them. So, you know, in our practice, I do all employees or W2s. Um, and I just know that the cost of doing testing with all the materials and booklets and answer sheets and whatnot, um, questionnaires, it takes off about four to 5%, you know, in terms of how much I pay per hour, um, just to cover the cost of testing compared to counseling. Um, so for me, with my um, with the, the general therapist or general psychologist, yeah, um, yeah. it came out to around, I don't know, a 10 or $12,000 for the testing materials. Um, uh-huh. does that seem to be like the standard ish? Would you say? Cause I feel like, um, people don't initially think about the, especially if they have W2s, the investment that the testing materials have, would you agree that that's probably pretty typical if you're doing comprehensive testing? Yeah, if you're doing comprehensive testing and you go ahead and just buy everything um, right out of pocket with those full testing kits, yeah, you can easily hit ten grand right off the bat just to have a kind of basic battery to 
to handle most of what comes through the door. Um, this is a good place though, where I can plug, uh, Q interactive. Uh, I don't Have you heard of Q interactive? Do you know? or your psychologist, you should totally check it out. So it's um, basically a digital platform for administering a lot of these tests. Um, So you pay a yearly licensing fee, uh, which is, it ranges, it's like 250 to 350 a year, depending on how many tests you want to have access to. Um, But it's, so it's through Pearson. That's the the company that does it. But, uh, and then you basically pay per usage of the test. So Um, so it's a great way to get started. Uh, you know, if you are just hiring someone to do testing and you're not sure what their referral stream is going to be. Um, so instead of laying out, you know, 10 grand right off the bat, you can do maybe 300 for a yearly license and then pay per subtest instead of, you know, yeah, putting out all that cash right up front. That is an awesome piece of advice. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, and they have, you know, they have a lot of what I would call kind of the standard measures that we would you know, that we would administer. So um, that's a great option if people are looking for uh, a way to get started without spending so much right off. Are there any other expectations um, with regards to supplies or needs that a testing psychologist might have? Um, Like, I I think I was thinking about one um, is that the materials expire. um, And if uh, you're a I don't know. I feel like if it's, if you have a good practice, you're going to replace those materials as they expire. I know some that keep them for a really long time. Yeah. I'm, sh- you know, whatever. But um, so that's something to think about too, is just once you buy them, that's not it. <laughs> Cause um, every, I don't know, a few years I, I did not luck out. And when I had hired her um, seven or eight months later, three, two, maybe two of the tests, which were 500 and something dollars each, um, Got, were renewed and add, add small pieces oh, no. Got added. Like, oh no! Oh. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's just something else to think about. Is it's not like a one-time thing. At least you know when it comes to those mm-hmm. materials, they they do sometimes get updated. But is there anything else besides that um, to that our expectations maybe on the psychologist's end um, mm. being employed and doing testing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that's a great point just to highlight that. Like you want to check the renewal cycle of the test. So that's another place Q interactive can help actually. Like if yeah. you're, if you want to use a test, but you know, it's going to get um, an update within the next couple of years, maybe you don't buy the whole kit and you just do it on Q interactive for a couple of years. And then, yeah. So yeah, a couple of things. Um, one is, you know, we, we think about, um, or I hear about office sharing a lot and how to, how to work offices in your suite. Um, so I think there's, there's, a little bit with that just to make sure that you have office space for someone to do testing. Um, because especially if they're going to be doing, um, bigger evals or comprehensive evals, you need to have space for them to like be there for six or eight hours at a time. Um, versus, you know, it's not a thing where you can just like come and go every hour or have people kind of switch off. So making sure that you have the office space and also making sure that you have the, the setup, like the furniture to do testing, which sounds like a, a small thing, but I've definitely run into folks who end up like testing in a closet or, you know, have a, uh, they have to pull out a folding table in a therapy office and it's awkward. And so just making sure that you kind of think through that. So you're not caught unaware, you know, when you bring someone on. That's a really good point. Um, with both the person that does testing and the person that I have that does medication management, um, Mm -hmm. I learned after the fact that the offices that they were using were not 
conducive to the, how they need to do their work. Um, so with my psychologist, that it was a um, she was in a room where it was a coffee table, uh, couch mm. and chairs, which is really hard when there's not an actual table to use. So you know we had to get a a larger table so that she can sit with the person and kind of sprawl out materials and all that stuff. And then same yeah. for my um, my person who does medication management. She actually sits kind of like how medical doctors do side by side, like at the computer desk. She's not sitting like uh-huh. therapeutically uh, one chair and the couch. <laughs> they, they're sitting like like L-shaped sort of just really facing each other closely. Like you would if you were at a doctor's office. I don't know if you, you go into the yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're sitting at the desk, kind of turned over, you know, looking at you, but writing, typing at the desk. That's how she does her work as well. And so, um, you know, how how we had our chairs, our chairs placed next to our, um, uh, desks were too close for her to be able to move like a small chair for the the client to be able to sit. And while she types, whatever she, whatever it is, she types. So mm-hmm. we had to move some furniture around for that too. So that's a, a great point is that, um, especially if you are not someone who does testing or medication management, um, you have to make sure that your office space does, does work for them because, um, what works for traditional counseling doesn't necessarily office wise work for yeah. testing. So that's a great right. point. Little um, things, but yeah, <laughs> little things. <laughs> um, and then I wanted to ask, um, it, you sort of dipped into it, um, is support staff. I, uh, I don't have it for my person. She does everything, but I know it would be useful. Um, and I know other places that, and I, maybe you have this, but those that have more testing psychologists um, at their practice, having, um, I don't even know if it's interns or um, you, you mentioned uh, undergrad students or whatnot, but like, is there any sort of support staff that psychologists who are doing testing like to have that maybe cut down on costs or increase the reimbursement that they get, but not having to do all the work? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think this goes back, actually, this is a great question for the hiring process too, is um, do they have any expectation to have a technician or a psychometrician or an assistant? You know, all those words are kind of interchangeable. And yeah, just because some people are really used to having assistants and some like to do all of their own testing. So that's a great question to ask too. Um, but I was going to ask you, yeah, what if, yeah. if, they, if you have a technician, is that something you can bill? I mean, obviously, you have to check with each individual plan, but is that something that you can bill insurance for? And then do you reimburse the technician? And then how does that help the psychologist? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like literally thinking this out loud. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so let me see. Let's walk through that. So you can bill insurance for technician work. Um, there's a, there are codes that are literally, um, psychological testing by a technician or neuropsych testing by a technician. Um, they're different codes. So yes, you can do that for some plans. Some don't, um, but some do. So you want to check that. And then, yeah, so you reimburse the technician. Um, a lot of the time the hourly rate from insurance is pretty close to what it would be for the psychologist. Um, so yes, you would, you do pay the technician and then the psychologist usually gets a, a percentage of the remaining percentage. Does that make sense? Ah, yes. Interesting. Yeah. I like yeah. it. So do people, do people use like interns where they don't have to pay them, but they can score. Cause I feel like at the group practice I used to work at eight years ago, um, 
it had something like that. And obviously I wasn't a psychologist, so that was like not my realm, but mm-hmm. I, I, I thought I remember them having people who were, um, like in grad school still and needing mm-hmm. to do an internship and score things. And then that they were still able to bill insurance maybe for that. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and that's what we do. We have a couple of grad students here who are doing their, you know, practicum or externship, whatever you call it. Um, and yeah, some programs don't allow them to be paid, which is a whole other issue to talk about, <laughs> but they don't, they can't get paid, which is, um, nice for your practice, of course. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a possibility. And then, I mean, in our practice, uh, you know, some of our psychologists do all their own testing, but then, you know, for me personally, I use psychometricians or technicians to do a lot of the testing so they can, if they're in grad school and they're PhD students or they otherwise have training, you know, in actual assessment, um, they can administer tests, they can write up the results, um, so they can do a lot. But if you're just looking for someone to, let's say, score some uh, behavior checklist or something, um, then you'd be looking more in like undergrad territory or grad student. But that's pretty, you know, that's pretty easy work to teach that most anybody can do. So what can't a, a PhD candidate, someone who's in grad, you know, getting their, their PhD, what can't they do? They can, there's gotta be something they can't do, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That the actual fully licensed psychologist has to do. Is it the final report or interpreting the information? Um, yeah. So the interpretation is the big part. Um, interpretation and diagnosis. Um, yeah. What I would call the kind of the meat of it you right. know? Um, or what people are paying for. So, and then from an insurance billing standpoint, um, you cannot bill, um, I'm trying to think how to say it, you know, concisely, you, you, you can't bill under the psychologist code for any work that the technician does. Um, so like a technician can't, um, yeah, they just can't bill that full, um, you know, psychologist testing. I get what you're saying. So there's, you were mentioning before, there's certain codes that list that it's a, a psychometrician. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. said that word before. Hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> nice. I was getting really nervous as I was thinking of the sentence. I was like, what other word can I use? And then it <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> nice. um, so there's certain codes you said that literally list that um, them as being able to do it. But then obviously the um, there might be some CBT codes that are specific to psychologists, fully licensed psychologists that then only they can actually bill under that. You're saying, right? right? Okay. Right. That, make, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, that's actually, I, I feel like, I, I don't know if I'm just mind blown and I'm, I'm hoping everyone else that listens to this is going to be mind blown with, <laughs> especially for me, um, because I've been, I've had a, someone who's doing testing for a long time. So I feel like, um, I've learned a lot, but this mm-hmm. kind of last piece is really interesting that, I mean, if you're wanting to set up kind of what you have, which is a practice that is mainly does testing. I know you do counseling too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have, have several. You're, yeah, you guys do a lot more testing than we do. We have one person, mm-hmm. um, but that there is a way that you can set up a system, and I think it just would take some time putting that system onto paper so that it makes sense and flows, where um, your psychologist can um, make a good amount of money by having maybe some undergrad or doctoral level students helping, where they can potentially get, like you said, a certain which is mind-blowing me even more, that they can get a percentage of that percentage that mm-hmm. the um, undergrad bills for. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
Sure. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So thank you for, for bringing that up. Cause I feel like yeah. that's an area I didn't even really know about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my that's gosh. the idea. It's that's doable. That, you can right? totally do it. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So to end, um, if you can give your, your favorite question, a tip or a piece of advice or just a last thought, something to get them thinking, anything, really just some takeaway when it comes to having um, some testing in their practice, what would that be? I think just that it, like I just said, that it's totally doable and it's a great revenue stream, but also a great way to serve your community. I mean, I think most places... Um, psych testing is in pretty high demand and there, there aren't a whole lot of people who do it and there definitely aren't a whole lot of people who do it well. So, you know, if you, I would just say, keep your mind open to bringing testing on and know that it's, yeah, it's totally, you can totally make money doing it and it's, it's a great service to add to your practice. And there are plenty of resources out there to help guide you through it. And on that note, tell us about your resource because not only do you have a group practice where you do testing, you also have the testing psychologist. So tell people about that and how they can reach you if they want that extra support in that area. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So yeah, the testing psychologist is the consulting branch of my work, I suppose. So like you do the group practice exchange, uh, I do the testing psychologist. So yeah, it's all about helping folks, um, whether it's the actual psychologist doing the testing and starting the practice or folks who are just trying to build a practice and add testing to it. Um, it's just aimed at yeah, helping build and grow those services in your practice and make sure you're doing it efficiently and cost effectively, but also like really offering high quality testing too. Um, and I can be reached through that. I do the testing psychologist podcast, and then you can also email me at the, at what, at Jeremy at the testing psychologist.com. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Awesome. Well, I hope everyone enjoys this episode. Reach out to Jeremy if you are thinking about adding testing services. He's your go-to guy. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye.